Alrighty then. Second Timothy. We are, we just finished the study of First Timothy. If this is the first time here, what we do on Wednesday nights is we go through the Bible one verse at a time, a book of the Bible, and keep it in context so that we just go through the whole thing uh, and get a sense of what uh, the writer is trying to tell us and uh, grow from it and, and hopefully really increase your, your Bible knowledge. We often jump around to other Bibles, the books of the Bible, to uh, kind of clarify some things that, that they're talking about. Um, but anyway, it's great stuff. And what we did was is, is finish... Uh, 1 Timothy last week, now we're going to pick up 2 Timothy, it's a little bit shorter than the first one, um, but these are letters, we call them books of the Bible, but in the, in the New Testament, they're, they're, you've got the Gospels, and then you've got the book of Acts, which is kind of a history thing, and the rest of them are letters or epistles, you'll hear that fancy religious word, what is an epistle, it's a letter, it's just a fancy word for a letter, that they wrote to uh, the church, um, and uh, it's, it's great to, to learn from what they were teaching that church then so that we can still stay in that same spirit of New Testament Christianity uh, and do things the right way. Now, Timothy is a young guy that uh, Paul is very close to, the Apostle Paul. And at this time, Paul is in prison. And uh, what he's doing is he's writing to Timothy, uh, teaching him about how to continue the faith. Um, And you have to remember, this is all extremely new. What these guys did is really absolutely fascinating. I mean, for us, you know, We've got 2,000 years of Christianity and history and stuff to draw from. And we understand the concept of the church and and, and everything that it's done. And and what we want to do is emulate to a great degree what has been done before us. But these guys, when they started out, there was no such thing as a church. I mean, this was like Ho Chi Mama, new stuff, you know. Jesus comes. He's raised from the dead. Everybody's going, wow, check this out. And uh, he says, he told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And indeed, uh, they never have. And uh, even under the most withering of persecutions at the time that they were going through, and Paul will make reference to some of that in this letter, uh, despite all of that, Christianity flourished and just went, went everywhere. It was, it was amazing. And uh, what he's trying to do is show this young man how to go about his ministry, how to make sure that it goes beyond him to teach others and instruct others and stuff. Um, because one of the things that he's trying to get across to, uh, to, to the church is this idea of multi-generational faith. In fact, he t- t- touches on it in just a, a second here when we get into this. But uh, the idea of one generation giving birth to another generation of faith and then to another generation of faith and da-da-da-da-da. Again, um, I talked a little bit about this Sunday, but you know, when, when Jesus said, you know, go preach the gospel, I'll be back, they thought he was like coming right back. Uh, they had no idea it was going to be you know, generations down the road and still uh, before, he has, before he returns. So all these instructions, why? So that this is how we do Christianity. That's really what this stuff is about. You know, a lot of these guys knew this stuff already. They lived with these guys. They, uh, uh, some of them had lived with Paul. He spent years with them. You know, they knew this stuff, but they got it down on paper to encourage one another, to encourage other churches. Uh, in a way, it was kind of like their multi-site ministry, if you will. Uh, you know, we have a multi-site uh, ministry here at the church. There's people in Stevens Point. How you guys? Uh, watching us uh, by via video. Uh, we have, uh, on Sunday morning, we have two, we have the service in here, and then we have a, a, a cafe down there, which people also watch via video. We're getting ready to launch some other churches around. Uh, all of this, how? Even though we're not on the same building, we connect via this incredible medium, because the word of God is bigger than any one location. It's bigger than one person. I mean, each 
campus has their own worship and their own pastors and all that kind of deal. But then we all tie together as one church for the ministry of the word. And, and it's fabulous. You know, how can that work? Because <laughs> that's what they did with this. Only instead of videos, they did it in letters. And they wrote it down. And they would tell them, you know, read this letter to this church. And read this letter to this church. and all. Why? So they could all benefit. The beauty of the word of God and the truth of God's grace and stuff. That it transcends everything. It transcends time. This thing was written 2,000 years ago. Is it still relevant today? Yes, it is. And it's still powerful. It will change your life. Why? Because the, the life of God written in these words transcends time, transcends location, transcends even people who are uh, preaching. You know, now hopefully, I'm not trying to strive to be worthy of, of what I'm doing. But, uh, you know, even if I wasn't, this stuff still has power. I know of preachers who were complete slime bags. <laughs> Bless their darling little hearts. But they, you know, and their hearts are all over the place. Some that are just absolutely living in secret sin that you, that you find out about later. We read that in Timothy's first letter where he said some men's sins go before them. Some come after. You don't find out till later. And sometimes, you know, you find out that, that, that a guy who's been preaching the, the word of God was living in, in terrible sexual sin or something like that. And you think... Well, how, how did that work? Because people got saved when he preached. And people, some people even experienced miracles when he preached. Because, you know, well, how is that possible? Because it's not about him. It's not about me. Again, I, you know, I don't want to be in that place. But I, it's, it's not about us. It's bigger than this, than, than people. It's bigger than even the messenger. Thank God for that. You know, that, that's what helps us to tie into the true living God. You know, I know some pastors are more interesting to listen to and some are more fun and some people like me, some hate me. <laughs> Can't imagine why they would. But, uh, um, but so what? Then there's other guys they can listen to. The thing is, is that Christianity, the word of God is bigger than any man, any location, any time. It's fabulous. Anyway, obviously you're here to get more about that. So <laughs> let's start then. So this is his second letter to Timothy Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. This life comes from Christ. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayer. So he's thanking God, I get to serve God as those before me have served God. I'm able to do this with a clear conscience as I pray. Now this thing about conscience is really interesting and important. The Bible often talks about maintaining a clear conscience. Um, What is conscience? It's it's that part, you know, whether it's in our soul or our spirit, wherever it is, it's just that part of you that gives you this sense of what you believe to be right and, and wrong. And it's interesting that the Bible refers to it in the, in the New Testament as conscience rather than actually the Spirit of God. Not everything you think is the Spirit of God. That comes as a shock to some people who think they're prophets every five seconds and everything they feel is, you know, is Jesus everywhere, you know. And No, probably not. You know, some, some of your thoughts might come from the Lord. Some, you know, from the pizza you had the other night. Some from... <laughs> Some because you're an idiot, you know, some because you're a person. I mean, who knows? We, all, we got all these different things. And, and while we have the spirit of God in us that convicts us, and there is that spirit God part of us, there is another part called the conscience that the Bible, the New Testament refers to. And uh, it's, it's interesting because Paul wrote uh, in, 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 in uh, several places concerning, 
you know, some argue, arguable, arguable things in Christianity. There's some debatable things in Christianity. You know, can I do this or can I do that? And, you know, they didn't really take a hard stand on some of these things. And they basically said, well, do what's good to your conscience. You know, again, they're not saying let the Lord tell you. I mean, it's, it's you. It's you, but, there, but there's a validity in you as a born-again believer, and you have to live with you. And if you doing something bothers your conscience, then don't do it. It's just that simple. Uh, there are things that uh, I uh, allow myself to do that I know others who don't allow themselves to do. Because it would bother their conscience. It just, it just does. There are things that other people allow themselves to do that uh, I can't allow myself to do. Because it would just bother my conscience. I, I can't be high and mighty about it and say, you know, oh, I'm, you know, God says you can't do, you know, whatever. Um, because there's some of these debatable things. Now, we're not talking about sin. You can't put that, con- you know, in the same context of what's clearly right and wrong in the Bible. You know, I don't care what your conscience says. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Hoo-ah! Doesn't matter whether you, well, that doesn't bother my conscience. <laughs> <laughs> then you need to be beat with a stick. I don't know what your problem is, but uh, but there are people honestly they can do all kinds of doesn't they doesn't seem to bother them. It doesn't matter. This is our standard. But there's things that are not standards, you know, like having a TV in your house. The Bible says nothing about it. It doesn't because there weren't any. But it doesn't say. You know, some people, you know, uh, Christians I know they, they have no televisions in their house. And they feel that having any in their house, it would, just, it would just bother their conscience. They would just feel very badly about it. Well, what the, what the Bible says is that we need to respect each other's consciences as believers. Again, we're not talking clear right and wrong. We're talking the gray kind of area. Then there's, there's very unspiritual pastors that have, you know, high-definition televisions in their house. 60-inch, actually. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> And they really enjoy them, oddly enough. But, uh, you know, and it doesn't bother their conscience at all. It doesn't mean I'm evil. It's just I like big TVs, you know, and that's beautiful. And, and uh, you know, and uh, on and on. So there's stuff. In, in, in this day, they would argue about what you can eat and what you can't eat. You know, well, is it okay to eat this kind of food or, or that kind of food? And, and should we worship on this day versus the other day? Because a lot of them were coming out of, you know, the Old Testament experience that were real strict on that. And Paul said, look... God doesn't care. It's very clear. He says, God does not care. But whatever your conscience is, go with that. There's no sense. I mean, if he says, if I know that eating a ham sandwich is going to bother someone who thinks it's a sin to eat ham, he says, I'm not going to eat any ham. Even though I know I can eat anything. Because everything's okay. See, it's that gray area kind of stuff. And we need to allow for each other to have convictions about things. Because we all have to make calls on stuff. Uh, Some of us make different standards uh, with our kids. You know, for some of you, you know, um, you know, you don't let your kids get away with anything. Others of you are more tolerant. Some of you have hellions, <laughs> you know, which I need to talk to you about. But, uh, you know, we draw our lines. And, 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 and what, what he's trying to say, the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, particularly Paul talked about this a lot, is that it's okay to deal with this conscience stuff. But what is important is that you're able to serve God with a clear conscience. You know, you've got to just deal with it. We all have stuff that... Even if someone argues with you about it, you go, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I just, I don't want to go there. I'm not comfortable going there. Why? It's just, it's, just, it's just the way they are. And we need to, the Bible says we need to respect that in each other. And don't use that to hammer and condemn other people. You know, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Latino. I'm a hugger. I hug everybody. Everything that moves, I hug. I do, I just, I'm a hugging freak, you know? Uh, and other, other people, they, they never hug. Some, yeah, I, I like the huggers in the crowd. Yeah! But uh, others will I'll think that it's inappropriate. It's, it's inappropriate to ever hug uh, anyone. Uh, who's not my wife? That's what they want, and it's really a matter of conscience to them. They would feel horrible if they hugged another lady ever. They, they'd be they'd feel horrible. Well, that's great. I'm better that than a lot of what we have today. People sleep with each other's wives, God forbid. But uh, and that's fine. We respect each other on that, you know. But don't hammer each other. I'm going to hell because I I hugged some some lady or something. I'm you know I'm not thinking anything bad. I hug them. I hug their husbands too. I hug everything. I hug their cats. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just a hugger, feely, touchy, touchy, you know, guy. That's, that's, that's who I am. So anyway. So anyways, but it is one thing that he does re- reference over and over again throughout the New Testament. Serve God with a clear conscience. You know, do what we know is clear and the stuff you're not quite sure on. And, you know, because you have any idea how thick the Bible would be <laughs> if there was a judgment call on everything in life. You know, this would be volume one of 40. You know what I'm saying? It would just be... It would be insane. So, uh, you know, the conscious thing, serve God. If things are bugging you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Respect each other in this regard, but serve God with a clear conscience. He says, I thank God I'm able to do that. I'm thankful, Timothy, that I'm, I'm able to pray for you, man. I'm just able to do it with a clear conscience. You know, there's stuff he can do, couldn't do. For example, he was one of these guys. He taught clearly. And we, I think we even talked, I think it was in the last book that we just read with Timothy, where he talked about... Um, Supporting pastors. Pastors should be paid, and it's right to financially support the guys who minister you financially in the Word of God. But for him, he never took a dime. He just liked that. It was great for him. He just, you know, he just it bugged him. He just wanted to be able to serve. I don't ever want to serve God, he says, so that you uh, can ever say I'm doing it for the money. Could he have? Absolutely. Was it the right thing for them to support him financially? Without question. And in fact, he talks about some guys here that did support him at times uh, uh, when he was in a, in a really bad place. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. So it wasn't like um, you know, they couldn't support his ministry and, and, and when he had no way of making his own money. But by and large, if he could, he just paid for his own way. And it's great. you know. Uh, so again, this is all part of his conscience, the way that, that he approached things. And he just loved to be able to serve God with a clear conscience. He says, uh, so he's praying for him. He says, I, I recall your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. He really loved this guy. He really loved this young man. He says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith. Which Now check this out. Which first lived in your grandmother, Lois. And then in your mother, Eunice. And am persuaded now lives uh, in you also. So here is a multi-generational Christian. We talk about creating multi-generational faith. And it is so important that we do that. A couple of interesting things here. One is that he, he got it from grandma. And then from mom. And now he has it. Now you have heard me preach on several occasions of the importance of men being the spiritual leaders in their homes. It should have been he got this from grandpa and from dad and now also in him. Where were the guys in this deal? We don't know. They didn't step up, uh, you know. And as you look at things, I've even quoted statistics to you of, of how powerful the effect of a man is spiritually 
in the home. It doesn't mean a guy has got to rule like Mussolini and, you know, push his wife around and be a big fat jerk to her and her kids and stuff like that. What the Bible's talking about when this authority thing is about the spiritual impact that a man has. And uh, studies that have been done, the Baptists did this study, said if a woman is the first one to come to faith in the home, 17% chance that everyone in the home becomes a Christian. If the man is the first one to become a Christian in the home, it jumps to like 93%. It's huge. It is dramatic. And there's other studies. Catholics have done the same kind of study where if a woman brings her children faithfully to church by herself, 2% chance those kids will become lifelong Christians. If the man does it just by himself, it jumps to like 40%. It's, it, it's not even close. The spiritual impact that a man can have in his family is off the charts. One of the reasons Christianity is not being as strong as it is today because the men have not stepped it up. And, and there's reasons they haven't. The church, for a large part, has, has, has left men feeling disconnected because we've so girlified everything in, in churches and stuff like that. And we've, we've certainly uh, tried not to do that. And if you look around you, this place is full of guys tonight. This isn't just most Bible studies in churches. It's all a bunch of ladies sitting there with a couple of guys who are wondering why they're there. And, and, and hoping nobody sees them. You know what I'm talking about? Look around you. That's not the case here. Man, this is 50-50, you know. There might be more guys than girls. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's about time. That men start being, men start being the kind of guys God wired them to be and become responsible leaders and stuff like that. But having said all of that, we got a scriptural example right here that even though when the guys didn't pick it up, grandma did it, mama did it, and created this incredible young man. So, you know, if you're married to guys who will not step it up, it is not the kiss of death to you. It is not the doom upon your children. Uh, It probably will make it a lot harder for you than it ever needed to be. Uh, But thank God for women who will step it up when the guys won't. Uh, Again, you'll always hear me emphasize it should be the guys doing this big time. They should be working together. The man should learn to be a spiritual leader. Set the values in the home. Talk to his kids about spiritual things. Don't let us leave it up to his wife. You do it. You talk to your kids about what's important, what's right, what's wrong. Because the kids will key off a of dad uh, very easily in this, in this regard. But if he's not there, you can still do it, ladies, and still have a successful uh, child, as certainly evidenced by this young man who we're reading about 2,000 years later, clearly quite the guy. The other thing that's real important in here is this idea of multi-generational faith. Um, I am a huge believer in this. Multi-generational faith. I believe that we should give birth and raise godly children who truly love God and that they should have godly children who grow up and truly love God and that Christianity should be growing alone just on that front. We should be taking over the world. But what has happened is we have parents who raise children who don't have a passion for the things of God. And who are leaving the church in droves. And this is a, uh, a great shame to us. Because it's probably worse now than at any other time uh, in recorded history. Where we are losing the battle. Just be- I mean forget about trying to win the pagans who don't like us. We can't keep our own kids in the faith. And, and that's just an abysmal travesty and I'm not saying so much we specifically here hopefully we aren't doing that but when I say we I'm talking about Christians in general evangelical Christians in general uh, are, are, are doing a very poor job they're saying it's up to as much as 75% of our young people 
uh, by the first or second year of college are completely given up on their faith. Now, one of the reasons I believe this to be true is because of the breakdown in the family. It's kind of hard to really sell to your kids that you love Jesus when you hate dad. Kind of a hard sell that, yeah, I really love Jesus, but I wish your mother would die and go to hell. And, and people talk this way in front of their children. And if they don't in front of their children, they still, still, still see the life. Okay, you, you love Jesus. God can do anything. He can answer prayers, but you, you can't even live with dad. Anybody see a problem with this? Now, you might rationalize it out any way you can in your little mind. But at the end of the day, your children are looking at what you do. What you say means very little. If we don't live this, what we say is jack squat. And that's one of the reasons why the church is losing so many of our young people. Because we are failing to live this stuff at home. We love God as long as I don't have to love my wife. I love Jesus as long as I don't have to be around my jerk of a husband. And uh, that, that, that has got to change. We have got to get one of the passions that I have. Uh, as I travel around the country speaking to couples. And it's not because I have nothing else to do. Honestly, you know, it's not like I'm bored and gee, I wish I could go travel again today. But I am driven by a passion. We have got to get this right. And I'm speaking specifically of the Christian community. This sounds terrible when I say this, and I hope you understand what I'm saying, but um, I don't really care what the pagans are doing. You know, it's not that I don't care about their souls. I hope they all come to faith in Christ. But I, people say, well, it'd be great, Pastor Mark, if you get out there and you're going to help everybody around America and get on Oprah and help all these people hold their marriages together. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool, you know. But my only interest in being Oprah is, is uh, I could sell a bunch of books. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but I got to tell you, my passion to save everybody else is just not there. My passion is to get people of faith getting their marriages right. Because if we don't get this right, this is over. If we don't get this right, we will have been huge failures in our generation. And I don't want to be a huge failure in this generation. We have got to get this right. People pray all the time, oh God, do something great in America. God, send a revival. Send a great revival. A revival to what? Honestly, there's got to be something that God can speak to and move. Well, in our churches, really? Our churches where 50% plus of our men are looking at porn and masturbating? In the churches? To where women treat their, their cats with more loving kindness and respect than their husbands? You see, it's all, it's all a game. And it's time that we quit playing the game and tear the masks off and say, stop it already. Let's start getting our lives together. Because if we don't get this together, I, I, the future for America is very bleak. We've got to get this right. We've got to start preaching about this stuff. We've got to, I'm as passionately as I can and as highly motivated as I can to help the church, the people of faith, to get this stuff right. And we've we've got to do it. We've got to get into this place of creating multi-generational faith. One of the reasons we're failing with multi-generational faith is because we think like the pagan culture in which we live. We, I'm after as soon as I'm done tonight, uh, I'm going to uh, to the University of uh, Wisconsin over at what you jiggets here, Green Bay, where we live. Is <laughs> that <laughs> so the name of it? University of Green Bay? That's it. UWGB. And I'm going to be speaking to a bunch of uh, college age kids tonight. As soon as I'm done here, because I have nothing else to do. And. Uh, <laughs> 
let's go preach some more. So, uh, you know, so I'm going to be talking to them. Uh, people always say, why don't you go speak to young people more? Because they don't like me. <laughs> they really don't. Because they are, you know, they're just so idealistic. And they're, you know, and they're drug-induced states of romance. And, you know, and I'm going to come in tonight just, you know, popping all their balloons and bringing them down to earth. And they usually don't, you know. So I'm already trying to gear up. Okay, they're going to hate me. They're going to hate me. I don't care. I'm just going to tell them the truth. But one of the things is because we think like the world. We're going on trying to find our soulmates. And, you know, who's the one for me? And following our emotions and stuff. And taking our brains out of our heads. And putting them in a jar while we're dating. And doing all kinds of stupid things. And, and delaying marriage. You've heard me talk about this many times. But it's one of the reasons we're not grading multi-generational faith. Because we have created an environment now where we've given our children permission to be irresponsible for at least 20 years of their lives. Do you know in no other culture other than Western culture do they even have teenagers? There's no such thing as adolescence. In fact, in point of fact, if you will study history, you will find adolescence, the idea of adolescence didn't even come out until about the 1930s, 20s, somewhere in there. It used to be you were either a child or a young man and a young woman and they expected you to become responsible. Well, we now, well, they're teenagers. They're teenagers. We're all grown up with that. Teen, well, teenagers, so we don't expect much out of them anymore. And it used to be you were a teenager from, you know, 12 to 18. Well, now you're a teenager from 12 to 32. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I just read a thing in psychology today that they literally are arguing. They believe that adolescence ends at about 32 years of age. You think, you know, how, how can, you know, these people got so many degrees, but how can they be so stupid and still breathe? Yeah, honestly, and you know, just, I just, I'm so unimpressed with this, this, these people. It's just like, oh my goodness. So now we're 32. And look at how many young men we have floating around, not married, in their 20s, even early 30s, still at home, playing video games, not growing up, not maturing, not becoming young men. And then the church is wondering, I wonder why that's happening. I wonder, what, I wonder what's wrong with our kids. Well, we expect nothing out of them. And in fact, if they do come to us and say, Mom, Dad, I want to get serious about life. I'd like to get married. You know, we're in love. Uh, we're 20 years old. We have a cow. No, you can't. You're too young. Ah, ah, ah. And we threaten our young people. And I know Christians who would prefer their kids have sex than get married too young. Evangelical, born-again Christians, dumb as bricks. <laughs> so you can't get married too young. You can't, really? Well, because they can't commit. They can't, they can't make, they're too young to make a commitment. Really? Because we have 18 and 19-year-olds in Iraq and Afghanistan right now laying down their lives for each other. And Jesus said, no greater love have this than a man to lay down his life for another. That's as high as love can get. That's as high as commitment can get. Eighteen-year-olds who are operating multi-million-dollar pieces of equipment flawlessly every day without mistake and willing to make the greatest of sacrifices. Why? Because they expect it out of them. And they pull it off every day. Sacrifice every day in the military. But it's a small picture of America. 
most of America, oh, no, since they're too young. It is. <laughs> so we got young people. We require nothing out of them and wonder why they don't mature. Why they don't grow up. Why they don't get responsible. We help create the very stupidity we have today. And it's time we stop. What are we doing? Well, pastors, they, they got to go to college first. They can't go to college. Really? It's interesting because every study shows that married students fare better than the single ones. Especially for boys. They're finally getting sex. They can think for once. (laughs) Freeze up their brain for the love of God. Whoa! I don't know there's a teacher there. You know, that's... Well, it's too expensive. No, it's not. It's cheaper for two people to be together than apart. Every argument you come up with is just pure baloney. Pure, unadulterated baloney. And what it has created is an atmosphere. Now, we create an environment where our young people are required. We require nothing out of them until they're almost 30 years of age now. And then wonder why they sit around. Wonder why they're going out and partying. Why they're having sex with each other. Why we're doing, I don't know, I don't know what we're doing wrong. I don't know what we're doing wrong. Anyway, they'll stone me to death after I'm done over there tonight. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just practicing on you because I know what I got to do. And, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But uh, but I'm a big believer in this. Look at, you know, people say, uh, you know, well, what? You know, pastor, you're, you're into nepotism. You're into nepotism. You, you got your kids working. Yep. I do. And, uh, and I have other people. You know what I love? I love it when like Pastor Gary's up here and his son's leading worship and his other son's playing the guitar and you look up there and you go, that is so cool. See, that's multi-generational faith. That is power. There's great power in that. Look around me. How, how many people I hire and I'll hire and their kids? So why is that? Because, because their kids get it. You know, uh, we were looking for someone to help us out with our, uh, our financial situation, you know, to, to help, to run our, fin- you know, CFO, handle the finances of the church. And uh, uh, it was shortly after I got here, and I was talking to, to Pastor Mary, who you all know and love, and I said, man, do you know anybody? And uh, we've got we to find somebody. He said, well, she said, well, my daughter can do it. And I said, you've got a daughter who can do this? And she said, yeah. I said, and, and she's been raised in the church and loves God all her life? Yeah. I said, she's hired, man. Well, we checked her out and see if she wanted the job, and she was dumb enough to take it. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but she's fabulous. It's fabulous. Now, well, how did you know? How did you know that was a good call? Because I could see their mom, mom and dad together, strong, good kids, solid kids, every time. That we've got to create this thing. I'm telling you, multi generation. Get this. We got to so live this at home that we pass it on to our kids, and they just get it. Anyway. So, your grandma had it, your mama had it, now you got it. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame. (sighs) Fan into flame the gift of God that's in you. (laughs) It's like, man, you know how some Christians are just on fire for God? And and they're just burning brightly, and they have all this, you know what I'm talking about? They just, and other people, and they say, man, how how come they got that and I don't have it? Because, Because you didn't fan it. It's just that simple. So how'd you get so successful? On purpose. That's exactly right. 
How are you still married after 35 years, pastor? On purpose. How do you still have kids that, that love God? On purpose. There's no luck in this thing. I think sometimes they think, oh, you're so lucky. You're so, you two haven't killed each other yet. You're so lucky your kids actually still like you. You're so lucky that you, you know, your grandkids aren't on drugs. It's not about luck, man. It's about fanning. This stuff happens intentionally. And he tells us, we all have the spark of God inside of us when you come to Christ. Now, the fact that you're here tonight, you are among those who like to fan the flames. It's great. The people who really need to hear this don't come to Wednesday nights. <laughs> you know. And then we got the creasers coming out the next couple of weeks. You know, Christmas and Easter, they show up whether they need church or not twice a year. Uh, they really need to hear this, but if I yelled at them, they'd freak and never come back on Christmas or Easter. But uh, <laughs> better we get them sometimes. But, uh, you know, uh, the fact that you would come out to church on purpose on a Wednesday night, you realize everybody thinks you're nuts. You realize this, right? If your friends knew where you're at right now, if your parents knew where you are right now, there's something wrong with that boy. He's out there just going to church. There's too much. You get too much of God, you go crazy. I just know it. I just know it. I just know it. We're all going to go nuts out there. It's a cult. It's a cult. <laughs> You've heard these conversations, huh? Yeah. Because, why? What are you doing? You're fanning into flame. You got something you want. I want more. I want more. Tell me more. I want to praise God more. I want to learn something. What happens? The fire of God starts burning more brightly in you. How do you do it? You know, I'll tell you what. We, the church should grow like crazy because we should be so on fire for God, the sinners come out to watch us burn. <laughs> Just look at those people. <laughs> they're on fire. I like it. There's something, they're crazy out there, those people. And they're happy and they actually have successful lives. And even in the midst of suffering, they're filled with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Their joy doesn't depend on whether things go good or bad in their lives. And they look at us and go, ooh, wow. How does that happen? <laughs> That's how it happens. <laughs> On purpose, right? But we think this stuff just happens, you know. You know, musicians, they're so, oh, they're so lucky that they can play like they played tonight. Oh, I wish I could, I wish I could do that. I wish I could just play a guitar. I just wish I could, you know. Now, it's lucky that they, no, they're not lucky. They picked up the thing and bite it and bite it and bite it till their fingers were killing them. Young people say, I want to play the piano like you, Pastor Mark. I say, good, I got a word of advice for you. Practice till you puke. (laughs) Just do it till you can't stand it anymore and then do it some more. Right? This is, you get good on purpose. You get successful in life on purpose. Coach, you get good on purpose, right? It's not just talent, is it? I'm sure you got some talented girls, right? Some that work harder than others, and the ones who work harder, it's amazing how lucky they are. <laughs> Isn't it? They shoot, and it actually goes in that hole. You know? It's just an amazing thing. I shoot, and it doesn't go anywhere near the hole. <laughs> I'm not sure I can get it even that high, but it's pretty bad. If they lower that thing, you know, a few feet, I'd have a shot. You're really lucky. You're lucky you get to play for the Packers. Just luck. It just happens. Oh, he's got talent. I mean, I mean, look at him, then look at me. <laughs> but it didn't just happen. And it still doesn't happen. 
And every year, now he's got to go, you know, the season's over, they had a great season. The bummer is they got to go to training camp again in a few months. And do the whole thing all over again. Earn the job all over again. Nothing's guaranteed to these guys. They got to go in and work for the job. Every time. They got to work and work and work and work and work. It just doesn't happen automatically. How do you get successfully in your spiritual life? How do you really get on fire for God? On purpose. Fan flamers. Flamer fanners or whatever. Flame fanners. I don't know there's a word in there somewhere. But that's what we need to be. And that's what he told people who intentionally, they pray on purpose. They read the Bible on purpose. They go to church on purpose. They seek after God on purpose. And, and all of a sudden, and they're buzzing. And it's cool, right? I love this stuff. Aren't you glad you're here? I'd rather be here than the best jail in town. For this reason, I'm around you. Fan into flame the gift of God, he said, which, was, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Now, what's that about? Here is a, a, a man of God who lays hands on. The Bible talks about the laying on of hands and imparting spiritual blessings and gifts uh, into people's lives. And, uh, and uh, you know, this is what he had. And uh, uh, it's wonderful. And in fact, the ladies just had a, how many of y'all were at the women's retreat? So I mean, you know, was that not cool? And why? Because this lady's praying for people and laying hands on them and speaking into their lives by the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's cool stuff. We actually need to do more of that around here. We ought to have a, just a Holy Spirit go crazy night once a month or something where you just kind of, just go nuts, you know. And just lay hand and, and, and experience some of these spiritual gifts. Why? Because this is cool stuff. What happens as a result of that? The flame burns brighter, does it not? You come home and you just, woo! Just cool. I can see y'all, you know, Sunday morning, you just, do I? I said, man, they can make somebody fan the flame. You know, laying, laying out of hands. So he's encouraging uh, uh, Timothy in that. And he says, why? Why would you do that? Why would you get on fire and burn so brightly? He says, because God did not give us a spirit of timidity. King James says, spirit of fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear. We don't have to walk around going, I hope nobody knows I'm in church. I hope, I hope nobody knows I believe in God. I hope, hope nobody, I hope nobody looks at me. You know. No. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear of timidity. But of what? A spirit of power. Yeah. Spirit of love. Woohoo. Self-discipline. <laughs> not so exciting, the self-discipline thing. But it's all part of it. Spirit of self-discipline, what does that mean? You have the power to say no to yourself. That's it. It's all part of it. And it's a key part of it. Well, I'll tell you what, you'll have a hard time keeping the flame going at all if you can't control yourself. Now, we live in a culture, in a world that says you cannot control yourself. It's impossible. You can't. Now, you listen on the news every once in a while. You know, well, men can't help but commit adultery. It's, it's in, there's a gene... In, in, in their psyche that just causes them to uh, it's really a part of a result of evolution uh, for a man to want to spread his seed all over no he's just a pig <laughs> okay and you don't have to be a pig we control ourselves Say, well, Pastor, I feel it. We all feel it. <laughs> you know? The good thing about being born again is we don't have to do it. 
Hallelujah. Well, I got to do what I feel. <laughs> Man, you will destroy your life. You ah. Anyway, self-discipline. Ah, we're not getting very far. <laughs> oh, man. All right. He says, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Or don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Uh, you know, there, there's a certain degree of, of, of shame that, that comes with the gospel. And, 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 and what I'm about to say to you, it might sound a little strange, but, it, but it's, it's actually a little normal, actually quite normal for you to sense Sometimes it just kind of gets on you and you, you kind of feel a little embarrassed about faith. That, that is the essence of Christianity. There's something in the nature of man that wants us to be ashamed. When you sense that, don't condemn yourself. Don't feel bad. Don't think, oh, I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. God hates me. No, no, no. no. Just, you've got to realize, you're sensing that and, and you just got to push against it. He says, don't feel ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And just break out of that. Uh, it's easy. Everybody uh, senses that. At times, I sense it. It's the craziest thing, but I refuse to be ashamed. And I, you make a decision. I will not be ashamed. I refuse. I'm not going to be ashamed of my faith. And you say, why do you feel this? It's just the world, the flesh, and the devil that we live around. Uh, but he says, but instead, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Jesus saved you for a reason. You're here tonight for a reason. You're in the kingdom of God for a reason. You're part of this. You know, it's not an accident that you're here. Honestly. You know, it wasn't like the angels came over and said, man, guess who's at church tonight? God goes, you're kidding me. <laughs> I never thought you'd go to that. I never thought he'd go. No, no, no. He knows you're here. He always knows. It's all part of his plan. He has a plan and a purpose, and it involves you. Hallelujah. Why? Because I'm something special? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's called grace. Something you do not deserve. God is using us, all of us, to advance his purpose in the world. And how fabulous that is. And, 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 and next week, we're going to pick this up. And we're going to talk about uh, what it means to be used in the kingdom of God. It's great. Uh, when we get into chapter 2, he talks about, you know, uh, how there's uh, different articles in a home. You know, some are gold and silver, some are wood and clay, and, and what we want to be are the kind of vessels God can use for his kingdom. So we'll talk more about that as, as we get into this. But uh, just to have a heart and, and, and to know that God has a purpose for you. Some purposes are, are get a lot of attention and limelight, and some don't get any at all. Who cares? As long as I just want to be in on the plan. I want, I want when God is using tools, I want him to reach over and grab me. You know what I'm saying? You know how you look? And you reach for some tools? You know, God's working on something. I want him to take Mark and go, here, and put it back over there. And then, you know, just keep reaching for him whenever he needs, hitting something or or whatever it is. Price something open. I want to be something that God says, you know, I can use this guy. And I can use her. And I can use him. And we're going to get this guy. Get these guys over here. Da, da, da. But what's the drag when God reaches for a tool and and, and it's busted? And 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 it's it's not worth using. And what happens? You just get put on the shelf. Doesn't mean God hates you. It's just you need to get in a place where God can do something with you. We'll, we'll talk more about that. We'll, we'll close with our uh, ushers coming forward and, and take our evening offering uh, tonight. Here they come. Lord, we are so grateful that you have called us to be a part of your purposes, Lord. And God, we just pray that you will use us. 
and uh, in, in, in every way, our energy, uh, our, our finances that uh, some of us are giving in uh, tonight. Lord, just whatever we do and offer to you, Lord, use this for your purposes. Help us to be the kind of tools, the kind of instruments you can reach over and depend on and, and use. And it's just, it's just a thrill, God, and quite humbling to consider that you would use uh, me or, or any of us. Um, we just we love you, and uh, we just want to be a part of your wonderful and glorious plan. Thank you for it. Bless all these who give now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.